So typically, we have a uh, one sex talk every year at Blue Water Mission, and um, congratulations, you're here for the sex talk. How, how exciting that is. But Vern's going to give our sex talk, and um, when she uh, said she wanted to speak on it, I just thought it was so appropriate because um, if you know uh, anything about her ministry, it Sex really plays a big part in her ministry, um, and I love, I love kind of the origins of, of uh, Vern's justice ministry. She, she felt a heart to, to do something about those um, sex tra trafficking victims, but she didn't know what to do. She was having dreams, um, and she knew she liked to smoke cigars and watch people. So uh, she went to Waikiki with a cigar, sat on the sidewalk, and watched people. And I imagine she had a pretty good dialogue with the Lord, you know, like, what do I do? How do I start this ministry? Um, since then, uh, she's been a pioneer uh, in our church as well as island-wide in her ministry um, among sex trafficking victims. So she's been, I feel like the Lord has been talking to her about that, about this subject off and on for the past couple of years, so I'm very excited for her to share uh, on sex today. All right, Vern. She also um, is a mom, and she moved um, from her house of like three years? Four years. Four years uh, this week, so, and she's preaching, so that's amazing. Thank you, TJ. So yeah, you know that uh, when we preach at Blue Water, we always like to preach from a place of experience and where we've had authority and moved. And so I've been working and preparing for the sermon for months. Just wanted you all to know part of the uh, proof of my experience, I'm sporting a baby bump today. So number two is on the way. <laughs> Thank you guys. And then I wanted to give a shout out. Father's Day, I got to say thanks to the two most uh, important men in my life. My husband, who has been a beautiful father to our daughter, and we're both excited to be welcoming the second one. And then of course to my father, who was just an amazing uh, Pregnancy hormones make me emotional, but anyway. Just love my dad, and he was a great example of honesty and integrity and um, showing me dedication to family and what that's like, and then also showing me... Um, that when you look at people, you don't just look at their issues, but that people are deeper than that. And his values on that sort of honesty and integrity and looking at people for um, who they really are has just carried with me and shaped me throughout my whole life. So today we're talking about sex and we can go to the next slide. And um, a lot of times when we bring up sex in church, people feel like this is kind of awkward <laughs> to talk about in church. Okay, is this better? Yes? Okay, good. I can talk. All right, so anyway, awkward sometimes to talk about sex in church. And it can bring up like a lot of different feelings in different people. And we may find ourselves in different camps or places um, when we're talking about sex and how we feel. So some of us might be in the camp of like, we've had an active sex life. Uh, we've had an active sex life. And we may be feeling like, ooh, you know, feelings of guilt or shame could be creeping in. Uh, we could be like, oh crap, why are we talking about this in church? And feeling really uncomfortable with that. Uh, we may uh, laugh out loud 
or think that teachings are ridiculous or not applicable to, um, to today and to our life. We also may fall in another category, and that could be the no-sex category. So we've made it through being single, and we haven't had sex with anybody, uh, and we feel like that we're holding pretty strong, and we may feel that bringing up these topics or um, having this discussion in church just makes it harder. Um, so we may be in the like, hey, you know, no sex, why do we have to keep bringing it up in church? This kind of makes it a little bit harder. I'm trying to put my mind on other things and we keep talking about it. Um, but it may also bring up, you may have confusing ideas of like uh, where uh, value is, where it belongs, um, what's healthy, what's not healthy. This kind of thing can all be stirring in your head. We also have another category that we can fall into, and many of us may fall into this, is um, that we've experienced abuse. So we have been sexually abused or our sexuality has been abused, and that can create a lot of confusion that can create feelings of anger, um, even a sense of panic when this topic comes up, particularly in church, because it feels such a uh, hurtful and dirty and uncomfortable thing. Why would we bring it into this place that's supposed to be healing and whole and safe? Um, but yet there may also be feelings of curiosity and wondering like, how could it ever be a good thing? Or, you know, just kind of processing through all of those different mixed of feelings that, um, that we may be having. And then also you may be married and Married, maybe you're having a great time. You're having a great sex life and all is good <laughs> and you have no worries or you could be in one of those seasons where things are kind of like meh, you know, it's, uh, it's okay, it's uh, not great. And, um, you know, you may be thinking like, well, things could be better, I don't know, but this is just where we're at now, life's kind of hard. And um, in this sermon, I'm mainly going to be speaking to the singles but I think that the marrieds, we have a lot to gain from this also in just, you know, kind of how to stay in our lane and stay true to our spouse and also an honest way to take a look at kind of what we brought into the marriage and if there's any baggage there that we need to clean up or it might be affecting us in our marriage. So we can go to the next slide. Um, so I just want to give you guys permission to feel and think any of those things. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about sex, we go through a whole slew of different emotions that are running through our body and running through our mind, and that's totally cool. Uh, I would encourage you to actually write. So if you guys want to write on your bulletin, if you want to write in your journal, if you bring that to church, or if you want to write on your phone. If there's notes and things that, you know, there's points in the talk that really hit you, then it's your responsibility to take that deeper and apply that personally to your life and do some more work in those areas. And so I'll be talking about, uh, through this sermon, different ways in which we can work through and we can pursue healing or we can pursue strengthening or whatever it is that we need. But I just wanna encourage you guys that you have total permission to fluctuate through all kinds of feelings. You have total permission to write things down, take notes in your phone, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not gonna take it as um, rude or not paying attention to what um, what I'm teaching from up here. I'm going to speak very broadly. This is a broad topic. So I'm going to try and cover that large swath uh, of where we may be, where we may be feeling. But I want you to really take some time and think about um, how to apply it. So I'm going to do a little prayer just to bless us now in this. God, I just ask for your presence and for your Holy Spirit to come and for you to move over us, Lord God. I pray that we would feel your power, that we would feel your presence, that we would feel your comfort and your safety wrap around us, Lord God. I pray that you would put your hands around our hearts, Lord God, and that you would help us. Um, any emotions that come through that maybe surprise us or that we're not used to or we've tried pushing down or keeping back for a long time, Lord God. I just trust that you are a big God and you are big enough to come here and you're big enough to help hold those, Lord God, as we walk through this talk, as we process through those things. 
Um, God, I pray that you would be touching hearts and that you would be moving on people where there are application points where each one of us um, can take this and can apply it to our lives and we can be stronger and healthier people in you, God. Just ask for your blessing, God, that wherever there is weakness in us, where we see our failures, where we see our stumbles, Lord God, I thank you that your love and your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord God, that that is where you really shine through. So help us to embrace, uh, honestly embrace where we are, where we've been, and where we've come to. Lord God, and keep holding our hands on this journey. Amen. So I'll move on to the text today, which is not one that gets preached much in church. But um, we'll bring it up. It's a Proverbs. And we'll go to the next slide. To it. Okay, so Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. There's basically two parts of it. <clears throat> First part, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. And then the next part, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. <laughs> so a passionate um, passage here at the end. Uh, so what I see in this is basically there's two, two kind of main things that stick out to me. One, there's something about overflowing springs, and there's another part about passion. So one, I think one of the main topics is don't let your streams out everywhere, okay? And this is definitely the temptation that we feel in life, and I feel like that it's the encouragement in a lot of ways of the world, right? Like there's a lot of um, sort of uh, worldly wisdom that kind of comes with lies, like, oh, well, you got to test drive a car before you buy it, right? Like, you know, you don't want to just jump into something for the rest of your life and you don't know how it's going to work out, you know? And um, there's, there's all this stuff like pushing us to believe that it would be better to experience more with more people and that somehow that would be more fun. And um, I, I, I think that's the temptation, and, that, and that's one of the lies that really gets pushed at us a lot, and it creates a lot of confusion, particularly when we're single. Next one. Next slide. Okay, so then there's the second part where the passion comes in, and one of the things that, um, that is said here is that, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. So this sounds powerful, and it sounds amazing. Like, who wouldn't, who wouldn't like that, right? It's continual satisfaction and intoxication of love, right? So that sounds like the first stage is when we first fall in love. Like, we get all those, like, hormones and things, like, running around in our body, and we have, like, those googly eyes towards each other. And uh, we're just kind of like overcome with all of these thoughts and with all of this focus on this person. And, and to me, that's kind of what the intoxication of love seems like. It's like, that's only who I care about. I don't care about anything else. Everything else just kind of falls away. Um, so I believe that this is a promise, that it is um, potential for our marriages, and that this is actually a piece of truth. A piece of truth that somehow, not letting the streams run everywhere, and focusing on one, um, and it, it has this element of time in the passage in that it talks about youth, and it talks about ever, and always, and just sort of this continual path is what it alludes to. So something about one person over time and sticking to that one place equals this amazing uh, benefit of continual satisfaction and intoxicating love. So, like I said, I mean, it sounds great, right? Like, great sex for the rest of your life? It sounds beautiful and wonderful. Um, it, it's crazy powerful, right? Like, sex is what creates life. It's where we all came from, and it, 
it's just, it's incredibly powerful for the people that are um, together in it. And then it's incredibly powerful as we are creating life and birthing new people and training them and teaching them and growing as a family. And it gives the family and the household a chance to uh, love each other sacrificially, a chance to show dedication, a chance to build safety. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful uh, thing that really is the birth, obviously, of all of us. When we look at the current state, though, kind of of our world, our society, uh, oftentimes ourselves, it's uh, all these other things start running in to our heads and just kind of into the culture's view of sex and sexuality. I thought Steve and Larissa did a great job last week of talking about the idolatry of marriage. And it's really interesting to see the trends in marriage now and around weddings and all of this kind of thing. I just, it's a little ironic how so much effort goes into the day. We've got all of this extra stuff that we're doing as far as like, you know, like the dress and the cake and the rings and the flowers and the, you know, whatever, the DJ and the music and the dancing. And it's just like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars the average wedding like costs now. But what doesn't happen in the average wedding now or on the average um, day of marriage is actually sex. Most couples aren't even having sex on their wedding night because they're so exhausted or they're so drunk <laughs> off of actual alcohol that they just don't have the energy. It's no longer a priority. And it's so interesting to me because you, you look through the Bible and there are, there, there's nothing about the ceremony of marriage. Like there is no requirements of a ring, <laughs> of a cake, of a dress, of any of those kinds of things. When you read through it, it seems like the only thing that really makes a marriage a marriage is sex. And it's just so ironic that we've put so much into preparing for the wedding day. We've put so much into like the glory and the event of it that we're not even like jumping into and cherishing what it's really about and the most powerful thing that we have in the world today is the union of two people coming together. It's just ironic where we're at in the world. Um, but I think at the same time, we have streams running everywhere. <laughs> you know, sexuality and sex is just kind of running all over the place in our streets and in our public squares and in our advertising. And we, we get so many um, messages from the world that is um, just kind of like this free-for-all, right? You know, using the analogy of streams and water, it's like, okay, you got this well, you got all this water stored up, maybe you're in your youth, you just like think you got plenty of it, you know, and you're just gonna let it run around everywhere <laughs> with everyone and just enjoy this, you know, create a slip and slide through the public square. And, um, you know, it's like, hey, that sounds like fun. But it's not, it's not really, it actually creates a lot of hurt. It, it creates a lot of pain. It gets really mixed up in our world with money, with power, right? Like it's a common saying, sex sells, right? Like you add anything sexy to something, you add on the title sexy, and it's automatically intriguing to people. There's so much money wrapped up into it. Um, there's so much power wrapped up into it as far as like controlling each other and controlling who, who has, um, say who's, I don't know, that, that it just gets so messy in our world. Um, you look at like abuse, abuse is rampant. Uh, most women have been sexually abused in our culture and a large number of men um, have also been abused. Uh, child abuse is just kind of running rampant. Pornography, of course, that's super easy to get now. It used to be just magazines, and now it's on the internet. Like, anybody can find it, and I feel like, you know, just seeing some advertisements is almost an uh, example of, like, uh, soft porn, or it's leading that way. It's just, it's just everywhere. It's so, so easy and so prevalent in our community. And then, of course, there's addictions and all kinds of things that get tied up and wrapped into it. And what it ends up doing is it ends up destroying lives. 
And you guys know that I work in sex trafficking ministry, and of course I see a lot of the damage that comes from the money, the abuse, the power, all of these things being tied up um, in what is now a sex industry. And it's destroying lives. So that's one way to look at it, but actually in personal lives, it can be really harmful and really destroying and destroy truths in our lives and things that we believe about ourselves and things that we believe about each other in our community. Uh, instead of it being this beautiful and growing and creative place. And so I don't want to talk so much today about sex trafficking and that sort of extreme side of it. I want to talk a bit more um, personally and um, bringing it down close to home. So I'm going to share my personal story of uh, misuse of sex misunderstanding of value and misuse of power. Um, this is going to be an example of how things can be looked at simply and how it can be looked at deeper, what the deeper impacts can be. Uh, also the truths and the lies, you'll be able to see them weaved um, throughout, throughout the story. So, as long as I can remember, I, um, have resented being a female. It just felt like the short end of the stick. It's like, I don't have as much physical strength. I don't have as much respect. I uh, shouldn't be able to expect to go as far in my career. Like, it felt like that there were, just kind of by the world, a lot of expectations for me to be one step behind. And I hated that. <laughs> for as long as I can remember, I really um, despise that. <clears throat> and some might say, well, you're just born with that or you're bor born that way. I also think there were some environmental um, factors or spiritual factors that I think played into that. Um, I had an amazing mom and dad, absolutely loved them. They always told me I could do anything that, um, that I ever wanted to, but emotions. But we, um, we took care of my sick grandmother, which was great because she needed help and we were there as a family to be helpful. I think what created a difficult spiritual atmosphere or just environment for me was my um, my grandfather's view. Wow. My grandfather's view of women um, was really poor and so We were around every day for most of my life. Uh, from the time I was born till probably he passed away, I don't know if it was like 13, somewhere between 13 and 16 years old, he passed away. Uh, every day there, every evening, every weekend. And uh, I don't think that I ever heard him say my name I was just always the girl. Now my brother, who I love, my grandfather really loved, and he would make up songs and sing about his name and sing to him. And it used to bother me so much. And it was just, always trying to figure out how I didn't realize this part would be so emotional. Um, I was just always trying to figure out how I could be good enough 
or worthy enough to, um, to have a name? Wow. To be seen as valuable? To be seen as somebody worthy of um, talking to? Of addressing? of taking somewhere, of doing something, you know, like, how could I be good enough to go fishing with him or go hunting with him or do any of these things? And it was interesting because even before my brother was born, I think I'd picked up on this. Uh, even as a toddler, you know, which you don't, I mean, you pick up things in your environment, but there's, mm, I don't know. Just some things are limited, right? Like you don't understand man, men and women's roles in the world and that kind of stuff. But I absolutely hated anything that was feminine, even at like a toddler um, stage. Like if my mom tried putting a dress on me, I would pour food on it or soup on it or just anything I could to, to take it off. Um, hey, like hair, decoration things, barrettes, headbands, I would rip them out, like hair and everything. Hated it, couldn't stand it. Um, and I wasn't the only one, you know, all of his other granddaughters that were older, it was kind of a big family, but all of his granddaughters that were older, uh, I noticed as I got older, like he never referred to them by name. It was always by um, uh, their husband's name or who, whosoever woman they were at that time. That was how they got referred to. Like, oh, that's Joe's woman, or that's whatever. Just pick a name. That's how he referred to all of the, um, all the granddaughters. So that's foundation of like, I want to be empowered. I want to make a difference in the world. I have a strong sense of justice and what's right and what's wrong. But it seems to me that you only have value or you only get a name if you're associated with a man. And I think that this started some base lies or untruths in my foundation, just as far as how I, how I view things. It just created like a lot of conflict inside of me. So fast forwarding to, to high school, we lived in a small town, and actually maybe this is after high school. But I um, was in a steady relationship with a guy. We were like high school sweethearts. It had been like two years. We're talking about future plans, about getting married, uh, having kids. I mean, like planning for the future, buying stuff. Didn't have a ring. But you know, we're just like all dreaming in that. Everybody knew us. Everybody knew that we were together, everything like that. So uh, simplistic thinking, uh, why not have sex like everybody else is? And uh, we've got all these future plans, like we're planning on being together forever, so what's it really, what's it really matter? Um, that's a simple way to look at it. Looking deeper at it, it started um, causing conflicts. So I didn't maintain a boundary there, did not. And so we were having sex, but then it started causing difficulties in ministry. For one, I was a youth group leader. Now the reason I was a youth group leader was just that I was a couple years older than most people in it. And we didn't have any adults that were stepping up to lead it, so we just decided to do it ourselves. So we had our, our little um, youth group, but there were some really awkward moments. Like I was with some of the girls that were a couple years younger than me, and one of them in particular started sharing about her sex life with some guy. She didn't name who it was, but she was sharing like a whole lot of details. And I was super uncomfortable and not really sure what to do or how to speak into this. Like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, like um, may maybe you wanna slow down. Maybe you wanna like back off of that. Like, you know, like kind of thing. So it, it was um, really uncomfortable. But then I also knew like, I didn't have authority to really speak into this to her. Like, what am I going to say? And I think she even brought this up. She's like, well, you're having sex with your boyfriend, right? And I'm like, uh, 
uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, like I want to be a leader. I want to do what's right, but like, I don't know, you know? So like, I felt super conflicted. I felt anxious. Um, I think for a couple nights I was losing sleep over it because I was like, I don't know what to say. I'm supposed to be leading. Like, I don't feel like that I have anybody to reach out to that I can, like a safe adult that I can talk to about this. And um, I feel like a hypocrite. I feel really disappointed in myself. Uh, I feel really disqualified. And like, I shouldn't even be in this place. Like. But then I'm also thinking, well, nobody else is here either, so I gotta try, you know? So where things got really messy was that the surprise was that it was my boyfriend that she was talking about. <laughs> and um, when this came out, I, well, at first I was just, it was crazy, but I started getting responses from friends eventually, and it seemed like that the response from my friends was like, well, what'd you expect? Or like, well, I knew about it. Or just like something very casual, at least that's how I felt that all of their responses were. And as hard as it was, I mean, as heartbroken as I was absolutely heartbroken, because I really thought that I was marrying this guy. I really thought that we were in a committed relationship. I mean, it had been years. And um, I just fell apart in a lot of ways. Um, my default when I get upset or hurt or fearful or scared, it's like those emotions might start, but I always go to anger. That's where I end up. That's my default place to go to. So I was absolutely enraged, which does not make a good youth group leader. Um, <laughs> I was super sad, I was hurt, I was depressed. Um, I think because of my friend's response, I mean, I have one friend, she, she was super tearful and crying because she knew about it, but yet she felt like she couldn't tell me. And so she was regretful, and so she was like losing sleep and she wasn't eating and like all of these things. So then I was concerned for her, but I was not in a place to be able to care for her. Um, I was super humiliated. I didn't want any of the adults to know what was going on. And I didn't know, I, you know, wasn't reaching out for help. None of the um, other friends were really reaching out for help. But the response of it being so casual really upset me. And eventually it did get out to the adults and to the, to the parents. But even some of the parents of like other uh, teens and stuff, they responded with kind of like, well, yeah, we kind of thought so or whatever. And it, those responses just super humiliated me. I felt confused. Like, where's the honesty? Where's the integrity? Like, where's the dedication to each other? Like, I thought that we were all tight, that we were a family here, that we were all on the same team. Like, why is this going on for months and nobody's saying anything? Um, I felt really painfully rejected um, by their casual responses. I literally felt nauseous. <laughs> I felt regretful. I felt betrayed, of course, by my boyfriend. Uh, I felt deceived. Um, I stopped eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was praying that God would just let me die. Like, I just, I felt like that I had nobody because this was, in small town, I don't know if you guys can relate to it, but it's like your friends is basically all the friends that are around you. I have one friend that lived on the other side of the county and I could call her and talk to her every once in a while, but like we live so far apart. So it was, I just felt as if I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't deal with any of that. Um, I felt so completely separated and isolated and without any community. Um, and then, like I said, my default was rage. So I was no longer a mentor to this girl. I was now an adversary. And really my first and primary role should have been as a mentor and as a leader um, to her. And I, of course, immediately uh, went to confront her. I'm kind of a confrontational person. <laughs> 
and uh, we went back and forth, whatever, but one of the things that has always stuck with me was that she was very tearful, kind of apologetic. I don't, it was weird, but one of her statements that has stuck with me was, I just wanted to be you. And so from like a um, psycho way, that sounds really scary, <laughs> from a leader and a mentor way, and somebody who was um, wanting to be a discipler of others, that was just heartbreaking. Because I felt like, I, I mean, my defensive side wanted to scream and probably did scream, like, that's not me, like, there's loyalty, you don't sleep with other people's boyfriend, whatever kind of things. But then looking at it through a biblical context, like, what platform do I have to stand on? I mean, is, it wasn't like that he was um, celibate up until this point. I don't think she was celibate up until this point. So it's like, well, technically, he's already somebody else's husband. He's already had sex with somebody else. And technically, she's already somebody else's wife. So like, what platform do I have to stand on? And it just, I felt like a failure as a leader. It was incredibly um, painful. The long-ranging effects of that, looking at it deeper. Um, for her, I, we, we did not stay friends. Um, but a small town, you know everything. So I knew that she went to a new high school. And as far as I could tell, she seemed to like practically introduce herself with this story. And I don't know why. I don't know if that was shame or guilt. I mean, there's a lot that I don't understand. But I cannot see how that would be helpful going into a high school and everybody there, like, uh, knowing that, you know, no, knowing uh, your sexual life <laughs> and history of um, dishonesty and those kinds of things. So I can't imagine that that uh, worked out well. Eventually, they moved to a different state. So I don't know how things are um, at this time, but it's my heart breaks for her sometimes of just, I mean, I was such a mess and I was a couple of years older. I can't imagine being younger and trying to process that and having the confusion of like me as the mentor and leader that I was supposed to be and like how all of that just fell apart. I know that her mom went into a major depression they had a ton of kids, and I don't know if she would even leave the house. I mean, she was just, from what I heard, a real mess. She completely left the church, and I think left Christianity. Um, she um, blamed me a lot for it because I was the leader, so technically I brought these people together. And uh, I don't think that that was a fair <laughs> um, a fair way to place the, the blame, but it was something that confirmed a lie inside of her that told her that these people in these places aren't safe and you can't trust anybody and you're better off leaving. Um, for him, my ex, um, I wish I could say that was the end of it. Unfortunately, that relationship continued poorly. Eventually, I finally um, ended it, but uh, affairs and sexual addictions continued, and I think it's continued to be a plague um, in, in his life. Um, so that was, that's a piece <laughs> of my story. Um, just one situation that I wanted to share with you guys. The point of me sharing it is that I want you to know um, that everybody struggles along this journey uh, this was not my only struggle. This is just one of the struggles. And it's, it's not even a clear picture of all the struggles that were in there. But, you know, we're, we're all on this path. And whether we're married or whether we're single, it's uh, hard to stay in our lane sometimes. And it's hard to keep our streams where they are. And I want us to be a community where we can talk about this openly, where we can share with each other um, vulnerably where we can um, not feel like that we have to keep these things under wraps or hidden or for you to think like, well, none of the leaders have ever struggled with any of these kinds of things. Um, so I hope that there's pieces of it that you can relate to. 
Um, maybe not the actual events, maybe the events, but at least the feelings and um, the hurt. And what seems so simple of like, a, well, why not? Why not have sex? What's it matter? This is our plans for the future anyway. And then being able to see how that fell out. Um, next slide. So today, I want to talk a little bit about how did I get here. And you can go to the next slide. So presently, uh, I'm getting ready to um, separate or um, celebrate my, I don't know why that says community. I guess I typed it wrong. Anyway, coming up on 13-year anniversary of marriage. Um, absolutely love my husband. Thank you. For almost 10 years of that, we have lived in community, and um, mainly we have been uh, a place of healing and refuge for those coming out of the sex industry, uh, sex trafficking situations. And it's been interesting that somehow now uh, I've become a part of this example of a godly marriage, I mean, of, of a marriage that actually honors each other, of um, a dedication to each other, of a marriage that, that's able to um, disagree and then work things out. And sometimes that's the only example of um, a healthy or a marriage striving to be healthy and committed to each other that many of the people who have lived with us have ever seen. For instance, um, one day, I think my daughter was about a year old, and I was trying to talk to a couple of the girls, both of them young mothers, in, um, in, the, in the living room. And then my daughter was about a year old, and she kept doing something, and I kept saying no. And she would try and do it, and be like, no. And then finally, my husband picked her up and took her into the other room to try and explain very simply, like, no, mom said no, you can't do that kind of thing. So then I was going to continue the conversation with the girls, and they start talking to each other. They're no longer listening to me. No longer, they're, they're very interested in talking about something. They're just going back and forth. And finally, one of them looks at me, and they're like, hey, yeah, Vern, huh? And I was like, what? They're like, men are useful for something other than sex, huh? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they are. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, and they're like, well, you know, you were getting, you were trying to talk to us, you were trying to do something, and then she wasn't listening to you, and then he jumped in and like took her into the other room before you got frustrated and totally like lost it, and then you were able to continue the conversation here, and he's helping. I was like, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, men are capable of that, you know, but it was interesting to me because I didn't realize they've never seen a father in their life um, for their kids or for themselves. And they haven't seen one in their friends' lives either. It was just amazing to me um, that, that world outlook of like, this was really a light bulb moment. I mean, they weren't joking, they were serious. Like, oh, men are useful for something other than sex. It's amazing. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, they're totally useful for sex, but they're also useful. I'm like, I wouldn't want to go through pregnancy without my husband with me, without a good husband. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to go through parenting without a husband and a partner. I mean, it's just tough. And it's no knock on anybody who is doing it alone. Like, props to you. Like, you know, that takes a lot of strength. But like, yes, there is something valuable and important when we go at it together. So I want to talk about like some of the healing things that help me. We can go to the next slide. And four truths that have really helped me process from that point to here. Next slide. <clears throat> so one, holding on to God. He knows, he sees, he cares. And at, um, the story that I told, it was so important for me to grab hold of God at that point. I mean, one thing, if you could say it was a benefit, was like feeling like I couldn't depend on my friends and feeling isolated. I felt like that the only person, thing that I could reach out to was God, and that's all that I could hold on to. And I clung to him as hard and as tight as I possibly could, and he totally met me. Next one. Um, pursuing the struggle. Anytime that I pursued the struggle of celibacy, of not having sex, 
before I was married was actually helpful and a good thing. I can not look back on any of those times and regret like, oh, I really wish I didn't try to, you know, not have sex then. I, you know, that would have been a lot better if I just uh, gave into it. Like, I've never looked back on it in that. And I just want to encourage us, because a lot of times we feel like this is so not worth it, but it actually is worth it pursuing it. And if anything, I hope my stories of, um, I don't know, pain and hurt and this kind of the deeper, far-reaching implications um, help encourage you to stay strong in fighting for that struggle. Next point. Truths, living in accountability and community. That has been absolutely amazing for me. Um, most of my healing journey has taken place in the Blue Water community. Uh, I moved to Hawaii when I was 22. I was 23 when I got involved with this church community. And uh, so that's only a few years after all that mess of a story that I told you. And I um, have just experienced so much through the community, being able to talk to others, being able to share with others, being able to get prayer. Um, and living in community has actually been really helpful because living in community means that it's not just my husband's opinion on like what I'm doing in the house or how I'm behaving at home, but there's other people that like have the opportunity to also speak or help clue me in on some of the things that are kind of my issues. So I think it's been really helpful in our marriage um, because I'm kind of a stubborn person and if it was just him reflecting something back to me, I would probably argue against that. But when it's like five different people in the house and they're all saying the same thing in different ways, you kind of get the point. So it's helpful. <laughs> we can go to the next one. Um, pursuing healing, ways that I actually pursued it is confession. Confession was huge to me. On the first Holy Spirit retreat, what I actually confessed was a deep lie that had been ingrained in me since, um, since that painful story I shared with you, was that I couldn't trust anybody. I couldn't trust the world. I couldn't trust people. And what God convicted me about was just basically I had a grudge against the human race. Human beings, I you know, automatically for sight, like, hey, you look nice, but I know underneath, like, you're not trustworthy. And so, like, that was huge for me, and it was a great realization, because I went all through college, and I only made one friend. I mean, I would not talk to people. I was just, anyway, I wasn't in a good space. It was hugely healing for me to be able to do that confession and pursue God. Um, Sozo ministry, I have been to so many Sozo sessions. And it has been so helpful from everything of like changing my view of how I view femininity and womanhood and not wanting to pass on those feelings of like being a second class citizen to my daughter. Like I want her to not feel shortchanged that she was born a girl. Like she is beautiful and she's strong. She's exactly how God created her to be. And she can do anything that God wants her to do and empowers her to do. So like... I don't want to pass that on. So I've been pursuing Sozo for years on that and getting healing. Um, professional counseling, totally helpful because sometimes you just need to pay somebody to listen to you. And then they can offer some advice. <laughs> they can give you some tools to work through it. Um, another thing, Mending the Soul. Mending the Soul is a small group that we've recently started in the church and we're looking to run. We just finished our first women's group and we're going to be starting a men's group in the fall and also a women's group in the fall. And this summer we have a little um, intro session, like informational short series where you can hear from some of the women that already went through it. You can watch some of the informational DVDs, but it's basically a way for us to look at how sin has affected all of us, um, namely in the form of some sort of abuse, neglect, emotional, verbal, physical, sexual, like Somehow we've all been touched by this stuff, somehow, some way. And it, it was super healing for me. I mean, as far as I've come in my journey, the, in the winter series, I guess, in the New Year series, I went through the Mending the Soul group with a group of ladies here at the church. It was hugely impactful for me, um, even with as far as I've come in my journey application. So again, I just want to say, take the points that really hit you 
and like think on them and pursue them. And what I want to do is I just want to say a prayer over you guys. And if the worship team wants to come up, they're going to do a final song and I'll pray while they're coming up. Um, God, I just ask for your anointing and your blessing over our community and over the words and over the things that were stirred today. God, that you would make us a healing community, that pretension and self-righteousness would fall away, that it would just fall so far away from us. And likewise, shame and hiding would fall away. Lord God, God, I pray for honest conviction for confession, that, that we would be set free, Lord God, that we would be set free from the past, that we would be able to name the past and leave it, Lord God, but not that shame and hiding and that sort of darkness covers us, Lord God, that that stuff would just get, get out of here. Um, God, I pray that you would make us good stewards of our own streams, that we would stay in our lane, that you would let us be full of passion towards our spouse if we do end up with one. God, and that you would strengthen us in our struggles as we stay, um, struggle to stay true to you and stay true to one another. We stay true to our community, Lord God, that you would um, help us to speak vulnerably, that we would welcome accountability from each other, and that we would really be your family here on earth, Lord God, that you would help us to fight well and help us to fight the honest fight, Lord God. Um, just move in us powerfully. Lord God, and be speaking to us about ways in which we can take action. So whether it be confession today with the prayer team, whether it be booking a sozo appointment, seeking out professional counseling, Lord God, talking to our small group leaders for referrals, um, for just someone to sit and hear us, or signing up for one of these Mending the Soul groups, taking a look at the summer group, taking a look at for the fall group. Lord God, just speak to us about how we can grow wherever we are, Lord God. You've always got more, and there's always a greater place for us to go.